Alright, so you guys remember last time we got together, we talked about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. This week, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. The reason that I'm sort of doing that is just to give you an overview, biblically, of what, 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 in, what information we have about who He is and what He does. Does anybody remember, before we jump into all of the other topics regarding Him, does anybody remember um, anything about what we learned about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? What are some things that we learn about who he is or what he does? The hovering is interesting. Okay. The brooding. The brooding. Yeah, the idea that he's brooding, hovering, that he's he's involved in creation. And, uh, okay. He moves. Yeah, yeah, just the idea that wind or breath, Holy Spirit, that he's, okay. Creates. What'd you say, Josh? You say he moves. Yeah, that he's in yeah, motion. What? Creates, redeems, empowers. Yeah, so we saw several things about creation, the idea of redemption even, empowering judgment, right? He was involved in salvation, okay. The fact that he uh, uh, works in people to, uh, to give them giftedness and, and his... Okay, yeah, works in people. He, he, gift, he even worked in the artisans who worked on the temple, right? It doesn't mean that we need to add that to the list of spiritual gifts, right? But I, but <laughs> <laughs> we didn't empower those guys. Just okay. All right. Anything else? He's a he. Yeah. He's a he, not a it. He's not an impersonal force. He's a personal, relational um, member of the Godhead, right? Um, so. And the concept that if we take that member of the Godhead and reduce it down to our gifts or our speaking in tongues, how reductionist that is. Yeah, yeah, we, we tend to reduce him dramatically to some contemporary manifestations or something, rather than the bigger biblical picture of him. And, um, alright, so what I want to do as we look at the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is I, I want you to know we're going to spend, we're going to spend a huge portion of time um, in Luke doing that, jumping through some scriptures. Uh, Luke Acts, so you know, um, is probably a, in the Gospels of the history in the, of the New Testament, probably has the most extensive information about the, about the Holy Spirit with regard to various activities. However, the longest narrative portion, um, and eat well, maybe I should say really didactic teaching, it's in the narratives of John, but the longest extended teaching on the Holy Spirit is in John 14 through 16. In fact, in all of the New Testament, that, well, all of the Bible, that's the longest, most extended teaching we get about the Holy Spirit. Um, so let's, let's, let's look at some information. There's more here than we have time to, get o- to go over, but let's talk about the Holy Spirit and Jesus, and then we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and, and really life in Christ or what he does, okay, um, to some degree, and then we'll come, we'll come back to that part. So the the Holy Spirit and and the Christ or Jesus, his role there. Look at Luke chapter one, um, and verse fourteen and fifteen, uh, and we'll talk about the Holy Spirit and his work in the forerunner of Christ. You know who the forerunner of Christ is? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Good. So look at verse fourteen of chapter one of Luke, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be, for he will be great before the Lord. This is a promise being made to Zechariah and Elizabeth about their son, John the Baptist. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be 
filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Um, there's a lot of stuff about that text that's interesting. Anybody have anything that stands out right off? The contrast between not having wine and drink and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Another contrast that gets picked up in Ephesians. He's taking the Nazarite vow there. Um, we know that John the Baptist takes the Nazarite vow. Jesus does not, um, which is likely means that Jesus had shorter hair and John the Baptist had longer hair. Um, just so you understand the culture, because generally the Nazarite vow, you didn't cut your hair. If you, did, if you didn't take it, you, you did cut your hair. Uh, generally that culture. Um, though we can't be sure, because we don't have any pictures of Jesus. Um, so paintings everywhere. Yeah, they're all right. Yeah, exactly. He looks different. And then how do, how, do you, how, do, how do you know which one's the right one, right? Exactly. So, uh, um, but he, you know, John the Baptist takes the Nazarite vow, um, is set apart as a prophet, doesn't get filled with wine, and drunk, but with the Holy Spirit. Um, but the Holy Spirit is immediately associated with his life because he's a prophet as the forerunner of the Messiah, right? The Holy Spirit. And what else is in there detail-wise that's kind of interesting? Just the fact that it, it was from his mother's womb and it didn't take a process of time. It was from the very beginning. Yeah, but by it, you mean the timing of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, yeah the Holy Spirit is... He, he is he's, involved, he's in John the Baptist's life from the time John the Baptist is in his mother's womb. Right? Um, you don't want to make a whole doctrine out of that. But it does indicate people say, uh, ask questions about, is it possible for you know, an infant to be saved? Um, well, at least in the case of John the Baptist, it was, um, even, even in utero, right? Um, so apparently it's possible beyond that. Um, look at verse 80 of chapter 1. Chapter 1's long. If you look there, it says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Again, I, I picked that up just because I think that's re a reference to the Holy Spirit, personally. Your texts, most of them probably have a small S. Um, that, that's an interpretive decision. Uh, my, my guess is that he's strong in the Holy Spirit, um, not just like in his internal fortitude, but actually strong in the Holy Spirit. Seems to be the, the mark of John the Baptist's life from the womb, in a sense, till you know, you see Jesus working with him. Um, in the translations, are there different words for those two different kinds of spirit? No, same okay. same Greek word. Okay. It's the same Greek word. You just make an interpretive decision when you're translating. Is the spirit the lesser, the Holy Spirit? And scholars, when they want to leave it neutral, just put the little less. Then they don't want to make the decision. You say, but that's kind of making a decision. Yeah. Right? But... Um, Anyway, that's that's one of the things about interpretation of scripture. It's or translation, right? I think it's interesting too there that um, he was in the wilderness for his entire life. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. He, that's the way it's yeah. It's worded there. He seems to go out pretty early into the wilderness, doesn't he? And that's his whole ministry. Um, so public administration wasn't necessarily one of his, his gifts. <laughs> his gifts. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> John the Baptist was not gifted in public administration, to say the least. All right. Um, now let's look at the Holy Spirit and his and his relevance to New Testament prophecies about Jesus. Because you have, and when I say New Testament prophecies, I'm I, I really shouldn't 
I really should refer to them as old covenant prophecies about Jesus because frankly, even the prophecies you see before Jesus starts the new covenant all technically belong to the Old Testament. You guys follow me on that? Mm -hmm. However, we place them all in the section of our Bible called the New Testament. Uh, but they're all technically Old Covenant promises. You get, you get, get me on that? Um, so I just call them New Testament prophecies, prophecies because of where they appear in the Bible. Though in salvation history, they come before Christ <coughs> begins the New Covenant. So look at um, chapter 1, verse 41. Um, you notice, the, well, we'll start in verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that's John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. What, 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 what's interesting about that? The baby leaping in the womb, and then she was filled. Is that... Because John is filled, or she was actually filled herself. Yeah, I, I think both. I think both, both things are true. John is filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, right? But then it seems to be that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit because she begins to prophesy here. Right. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, how pregnant is Mary at this point? Anybody know? Well, the baby's kicking. Well, that's Elizabeth's baby. Oh, that's oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, she's not showing yet. She's just gotten pregnant. Mm -hmm. Now, why has she gone to go? What, anybody have any idea why Mary's gone to see Elizabeth? I think she went with haste, too. That indicates some, there was some reason. Probably to avoid the scandal of everything, right? Well, yeah, to some degree, but she's also going to this aunt who has, who she knows was barren all this time, had a prophecy over her that she'd be pregnant, and now she is. And now Mary's got a prophecy that she's going to be pregnant, and so she's like, I'm going to go see my aunt, right? <laughs> <laughs> Whose husband is a priest. And she will understand. Yeah, and she'll get this, you know. Maybe if anybody believes it, it's going to be her, right? You'd, you'd get this impression. You got to realize these are real people, right? <laughs> Dealing with real issues, and she gets there, and of course she declares this verse four. You know, blessed is the fruit of your of your womb, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Isn't that interesting? What is Elizabeth prophesying about Mary? Jesus is the, is the Messiah. He's the Lord. Yeah, so the Holy Spirit fills her. You see this prophecy right off. Now look at verse 67, because let's look at Zechariah, which is John the Baptist's father. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, and then he goes and gets this prophecy, uh, which is just quite in-depth about, if you look, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Um, and he goes on to prophesy about John the Baptist and his ministry with Jesus and Jesus' ministry. So what's crazy about that is, is, is right now, just at the beginning of Luke, you're already seeing every time somebody's prophesying, the Holy Spirit's involved, right? And he's just talking about Jesus, talking about Jesus. Look at verse 35 of Luke. 
one. Right? So we'll look, let's look at just the, the prophecy about Jesus and his birth. Verse 35, the angel answered her, talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's this idea that he, he's hovering over her womb or brooding over her. Why is that language stick out to you right away? Because of the Genesis reference. Yeah. The Genesis reference, exactly. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So even Jesus's, even Jesus' incarnation is empowered here by the Holy Spirit, right? The pregnancy of Mary comes about by the Holy Spirit. He's, he's, in a sense, generated by the Holy Spirit. So, you guys following so far? Just in chapter 1 of Luke, right? He has all this information. Holy Spirit's intimate tie to the person and work of Jesus. That's what I want to hammer home, right? As we go through these passages, notice how intimately tied he is to the person and work of Jesus. He's, the, he's, he's tied to the forerunner of Jesus. He's tied to all the New Testament prophecies about Jesus. He's tied to the conception of Jesus. Now look at Luke chapter 2. Um, and we'll look at the confirmation of Jesus. Verse 25, you guys know Jesus is presented at the temple, right? And um, as he's presented, um, which, which is normal, Jewish custom, present your baby at the temple. Here he is, a baby. And they come in, verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And what, what's the next detail we get? The Holy Spirit was upon him. Who is he waiting for? The consolation of Israel, who's the Messiah, right? And it had been revealed to him, by who? The Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, this is a real prophecy, right? You won't see death until you see the Lord's Christ, and what happens? He sees the Lord's Christ, right? And he came, now this is what's interesting to me about it, but, and he came in the Spirit, and notice the emphasis in the Holy Spirit's work, even here at the came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. In other words, you've kept this prof promise you've made to me. I'm seeing the Lord's Christ now. But he's holding a baby. <clears throat> right? Um, if you imagine the scene, he picks up this baby, holds the baby in his arms, and now he's holding who in his mind is a light for revelation of the Gentiles and for your and for your glory to your people Israel, right? The Lord's Christ, the King, the Messiah, the Savior, he's holding him in his hands, right, in his arms. Apart from the fact that he came into the temple in the Spirit, how could he ever have known it was the Messiah, right? Would never have known, you know. So nobody says, hey, here he is. This one's the Messiah. Yeah, here's a teenage girl and her husband bringing a baby, to be presented in the temple, right? You know, what's unusual about that? Nothing, right? That was normal. Why this baby? Right? Confirmation for Mary. Oh, for Mary, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, she has several instances of it. Yet she still doubts him at one point, and Mary and Mary and Jesus' brothers come looking for Jesus and say, um, "We think he's lost his mind." Right? Because he's not doing ministry. And so, you think to yourself, 
Um, so anyway, all right. They actually accuse him of losing his mind. Um, you know, okay. Uh, and if you follow, of course, it's confirmed with Anna as well. I won't look at that. Look, let's look at Jesus' anointing for ministry. So you notice all along here, the Holy Spirit's involved in Jesus' ministry. So let's look at his anointing for ministry. Luke chapter 3, look at verse 15. Um, John the Baptist is teaching, as the people were in expectation, and all were questioning their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, does anybody know what the, those two phrases are referenced to? Those ideas, Holy Spirit and fire. One is saving and one is judging, right? Now, we'll talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit um, next time we meet, I think. I have to look at my schedule. I think next time we meet. But... But one is saving and one is judging. You're baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. right? Being baptized with fire, not so good. right? Um, some people say, oh, well, this is a reference to the fiery tongues at Pentecost. The problem with that is the next verse seems to make the separation. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. You just follow that. okay? Um, so here's the Holy Spirit, and now... Luke, uh, John's telling you the Holy, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, but go on and let's look at the Holy Spirit in his ministry. Verse 21, now when all the people were baptized, when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now here you have the bringing together of water, a dove, right? The Holy Spirit, you guys, you guys follow what's happening? The, the one who's saving and judging, right? When you get all these pictures in the Old Testament, don't you? All being picked up in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is descending upon him. So the Holy Spirit anoints him for ministry. Just in the first three chapters, you see how much involvement the Holy Spirit has in the ministry of Christ? And, okay. Um, Chapter 4, verse 18. Um, there. Jesus uh, takes is in the synagogue and he enrolls the scroll. In Luke, this, um, this particular text, I think, in the Gospel of Luke is paradigmatic for Luke. In other words, I think he sets the paradigm for Jesus' mission right here in the Gospel. And then he's just continually unfolding um, this paradigm. But... Um, Jesus comes to Nazareth where he'd been brought, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, this is Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. Now, now notice what the Holy Spirit has anointed him to do, which is in fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 61. The Holy Spirit has anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, Jesus is coming as the great jubilee of God. And the Holy Spirit has anointed him for that. You guys, what's the jubilee? The 70 year, every 49 years, the land gets returned to its original family, um, debts are cleared, kind of a reboot, reboot of the economy. Slaves are freed. Mm -hmm. 
right? It's all, it's all, it's considered the year of the Lord's favor. Mm-hmm. That's what it, the Jubilee. And, and Jesus is coming and he's bring he is, he is in a sense the Jubilee. He's bringing the ultimate year of the Lord's favor, right? The Holy Spirit's anointed him for that purpose. Uh, also later, you know, called the Sabbath, right? He is our Sabbath in Hebrews. He is the Jubilee here. And there's this idea that he is, he's bringing in a sense this new exodus. If you think about the people being freed from Pharaoh and taken to the promised land, and then the Sabbath year and the Jubilee and all this always we're picturing that, right? And um, and now Jesus coming as that ultimate um, redeemer. He gave, he rolled the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and all the eyes, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, "Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing," which is just a, a mind-blowing scene for these people, for him to make this kind of a statement, and really sets the paradigm for the rest of the, the book of Luke. So, you see the Holy Spirit uh, anointing Jesus for his ministry. Um, the spirit baptism Jesus will baptize with, obviously, is in Luke 3.16. The spirit and the temptation of Jesus. Look at Luke 4 real quick, verse 1. We went to verse 18, but let's look at verse 1. Um, and look at the temptation of Jesus. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. And notice that again, this emphasis, he's full of the Holy Spirit. Returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. What's interesting about that? For 40 days being tempted by the devil. Parallel to the Old Testament. Well, there's a parallel to the Old Testament, obviously, as far as he's coming out of his baptism and going into the wilderness, out of the water into the wilderness. But, um, which you see an Exodus theme again. But, But what else is important about what is the Holy Spirit doing here? He's leading him. Yeah, I mean, him. that's interesting. It's not just Jesus going. The Spirit is leading him there. To the wilderness. And he's leading him to his temptation. <laughs> right? Which is, which is one of those things. So later on when Jesus, you know, in Matthew this falls in an interesting place. Because in Matthew you've got the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out to his temptation. And then not, not much longer after that, you have Jesus teaching us to pray. Lead us not into temptation. You guys, you guys follow that? Um, we're begging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. What's that? We're not Jesus. Yeah. Now, does the, does the Holy Spirit tempt Jesus? No. God doesn't tempt anyone. Right? But the Holy Spirit leads him to the place where he is tempted. On purpose. Why? What's the paradigm that's being... What? What's... What's happening here that the Holy Spirit is leading him to temptation? Why is it he needs to be it needs to be uh, the perfect self, the, the perfect lamb. Um, he has to face temptation. If he doesn't face temptation, that takes away from that perfection. Okay. And it shows that he's the new, he's where Israel failed. He's gonna. Yeah. All these temptations are interesting because they are a repeat of Israel's. Um, um, they're all they're all references from. If you look at them from the Pentateuch, the first five books of Torah, they're all references from that um, when Jesus responds to Satan, because they're all temptations in a sense that Israel failed in the wilderness. They failed in all these ways, and Jesus is not failing. 
Adam failed in all these ways, and Jesus is not failing. Is there any we fail, right? Yes, is sir. There, is there any correlation between the 40 years and the 40 days in the wilderness? Yeah, I, I think, think that's so. interesting. I mean, it's just, you know, if there's any significance there or not. But. Yeah, there is. Clearly, 40 is not an <laughs> arbitrary number. Yeah. Russ Moore's book on temptations does a good job, I think, of helping you tie all those together. Russ Moore does a good job with that. The book, is it Tempta Tempted, Tempted and Tried? Yeah. yeah, if you want to read a book on it's temptation short, and short sin, it's pretty short. It's pretty fun to read. Yeah, on the fall, it's called Temptation, Tempted and Tried by Russell Moore. It's a good book. Um, anyway, the uh, um, keep going. The spirit of the teaching of Jesus. Look at verse 14 at, of chapter 4. And I'm just gonna, I'm just skimming, guys, because we don't have time to go into all of it. And Jesus began, and Jesus returned in the power of who? The Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in, the, taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he's returning in the power of the Spirit, and he's teaching, right? So the Holy Spirit now is associated with the teaching of Jesus. Um, all right, let's look at the Spirit of the revealing of the Father through Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 10. Um, because this, if we continue, I, I can't go over everything. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 21. In that same hour, now this is, this is a, a mind blower right here to me. In that same hour, he, that's Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, right? So he's rejoicing in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father. Now, here you see the whole Trinity presence, Right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this text right off. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. There's a lot to say there about the doctrine of salvation. I don't have time to say right now. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. What, what what stands out there in that? What what? Jesus was a Calvinist. Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Other than the fact that that <coughs> Calvin most accurately sums up the gospel um, in you know Reformation history. What 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 else do we? Uh, what do we see about that? What what's? Why is he rejoicing in the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, you know, is always leading people toward Christ or toward the Father. And so you see Jesus rejoicing in the Holy Spirit as he's praying to his Father, communing with his Father. Yeah. There's always a, there's always a direction that it's going toward Christ or toward the Father when there's the Holy okay. Spirit involved. How is the Father revealed? Son. By the Son. And who's empowering all of that? Who's the Holy Spirit? Right? Um, and that's that's a huge, huge deal. You you this this idea that Jesus understands they can't know you, Father, apart from me. And and they can't know me apart from the Holy Spirit. Right? And you. 
In other words, we're so intimately tied together that you can't can't even know one another apart from the other. There's this 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 ties in you guys when you start talking later on about about the work of Christ. Start talking about the cross. A lot of times we want to divide the Holy Spirit from the cross, especially when we think about the atonement. And here Christ pays for our sins at the cross, but then the Holy Spirit generally fails to apply it to lots of people. You guys follow me on that? And, and, um, and you start to make a divide between the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit, rather than saying, somehow they're all they're, they're intimately all tied together in all of their work, in all that they plan and accomplish and apply. Their, their work is tied together. The, in other words, what I'm saying here is, the Father is saving whom He will. He's right. The Son is paying for that. For whom the Father, the Holy Spirit is applying that to whom He will. There, that that's the same group. The the Trinity isn't like the Father's going. I just love to save everybody, and Jesus is going. I just love to die for everybody, and the Holy Spirit's going. I'd like to apply it to some people. You know, you guys follow me on that, okay? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you you get you get this kind of um, exclusivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's this interesting divide that people start to want to push as they talk about the doctrine of salvation. We often divide up the persons of the Trinity as if they're not all on the same page. You guys follow me on that? Mm-hmm. When in fact they are. Um, all right. Um, so, so the Holy Spirit is the one who works in Jesus to reveal the Father. It's a crazy thought. You know, that's just the main... All right. Um, look at Luke chapter 11. The Spirit is the power behind Jesus' miracles and, and really the coming of the kingdom. I'm sorry, what, what was the reference there? Luke chapter 11. We're going to look at verse... Um, we'll start at verse 14. Now, he was... Casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by who? By whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But, now notice this verse 20, If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Notice two things that are (coughs) important there. Um, First of all, the finger of God is a reference to the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? If we look at the same passage in Matthew, he says, he, he he doesn't reference him as the finger of God. He references in the Holy Spirit directly. In Luke, he picks up the word the finger of God. What is Luke pointing to when he picks up the word the finger of God? Now remember this Exodus theme. Yeah, yeah the Ten Commandments. They're written with the finger of God, right? That's the reference we're told is the finger of God inscribed the Ten Commandments. Who is the Holy Spirit? Is the reference here. Okay, So Jesus is saying... What you see me doing, I'm doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I work by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's how you know the kingdom of God is upon you. Which is just, again, this, this huge understanding of 
what the Holy Spirit is bringing. He is the one empowering Jesus' miracles. Um, th this becomes incredibly important to later understanding the Christian life. John Owen really sums it up well in his book on the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and, and I would encourage you, it sums it up. It's 500 pages of the Holy Spirit. But <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> nice little phrasing there, yeah. Yeah, with, with incredibly difficult phrasing to read. But but describes well this idea that the Holy Spirit is is working in everything Jesus does, and that's why he is, in that sense, a true model for us. Jesus is. He is a spirit-empowered man. Now, John Owen's not saying he's not divine, but John Owen's saying everything he's doing is as a spirit-empowered man. That, you know, because the, the finite cannot comprehend the infinite, um, because the human man, Jesus, cannot have the divine attributes flow into his humanity and change his humanity because it would overwhelm it. Do you guys follow that? Okay. Um, he's, he's generally operating, or he is, I would probably say almost, if not always operating, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> all right. Um, let's look at the, uh, the Spirit in Confessing Christ. Look at Luke 12. <clears throat> and we're going to look at verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogue and rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, I don't have time to unfold this passage. You can go back and listen to my sermons in Luke 12, as well as Luke 11, and some of these other passages I've pointed out, Luke 10 I've pointed out to you. But, but here you have this confession of Christ being tied to the work of the Holy Spirit. You guys, you guys follow me on that? Um, you're, either, you're either confessing Christ, or you're not. And if you're confessing Christ, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You guys follow me on that? Okay. Um, and, and I don't have time to get into all of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit there, so I won't today. Um, look at Romans 8.11, because I'm going to talk about the Spirit and the resurrection. So you, you notice, you, you see the Holy Spirit involved in everything here so far, right, in Jesus' life. Um, there's one more I want to I want to point out briefly. We'll jump out of Luke 4. Um, Romans chapter 8. Um, and verse 11. Romans is also another probably Romans 8 is one of the other sort of long didactic sections on or teaching sections of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What, what's interesting about that text? Spirit's involved in resurrection. Yeah. And, and in our resurrection. Yeah, the Spirit was involved in Jesus' resurrection. Now, just stop and absorb that for a minute, right? The Spirit raised him from the dead. Um, also, it was also involved in his conception, if you will. His, I like the way, I like your word, generation yeah. of Jesus in Mary, in Mary. And here, 
come full circle, he's raising him from the dead. He's just intimately involved. Yeah. In everything Jesus does, from his conception to his resurrection. You guys, you guys, you guys understand that? The whole scope of his ministry, his, the prophecies about him, his conception, you know, all every ceremony he attends, the Holy Spirit's there, right, declaring who he is. Um, everything, every miracle he performs, all the way through his resurrection from the dead, the Holy Spirit's involved. Right? And the same Holy Spirit resurrects us. Gives us life. And by the way, creates us and breathes new life into us. Right? Um, if only I had time to unwind all that. I'm just giving you a quick overview. All right. Oh, go ahead. Get the, the spirit and life in Christ. <laughs> the spirit and life in Christ. So let's talk about the spirits then working in us. We're going to come back to most of these concepts, but I just want to give you an overview of what we see in the New Testament, okay? So we'll come back to most of these, though. The spirit and, and the doctrine of regeneration. What's regeneration? I think generation is creation, right? The book of Genesis was regeneration. Yeah, the recreating of something, right? Okay, so look at John chapter 3. Um, and, and, then, and then we can also look, and I, I, just, I don't have time to spend a lot of time in John 3 here, but I'm, I'll overview the passage briefly. Um, and I'm sure you guys can reference another text after this. But John chapter 3, if you look at verse 1, we're familiar with the story. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Which, this is the funny thing about the book of John. People keep coming to Jesus and telling him, Hey, we know this about you. And then Jesus almost says, there's something else you need to know that you're not really focusing in on here, right? You know, when he just kind of rebreathes. Sometimes his, his responses are almost odd. Like, what? what is a... We know you're a teacher from God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What kind of weird, cryptic response is that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just laid down a compliment for you, you know? <laughs> and here, so here he goes, and Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, this is a classic smart aleck response. Okay? You have to be born again from above. This, why do you have to be born again? What, what does that infer if you have to be born again? That you're dead. That you're dead. Okay? That you're not alive. Because living things don't have to be born. Okay, you guys follow me on that? Is it, okay, you're, you're being born again. You're, you're, you're not currently living, you're being born again. All right, um, and from above. And he's saying, well, do I enter a second time in my mother's womb? All right? Um, in other words, do I have to crawl back in there and, and come right back out? Um, clearly, Nicodemus knows that's impossible. So he's just being a smart aleck here as far as I'm concerned. I don't think there's this real confusion. I think this is just basically a guy who, who's refusing to listen at this point well, right? And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water 
and the Spirit. Now notice that one preposition governing two phrases, water and the Spirit. Of is the one preposition. Connected by that little and word, chi, is, um, is a way to say that these two things are really one birth. You're, there's a birth that has to come. Here's the birth. Water and spirit. You follow me on that? Okay, there's one birth, water and spirit. This isn't two separate things. Like people want to say, you're born of water, you come out of the womb. You're born of the spirit, the spirit comes upon you. You guys ever heard that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Where you're born of water, that's baptism, and then you're, you know, in, and then you're born of the spirit, he comes upon you. You guys heard those kind of things? That isn't grammatically what's happening here. He's talking about one rebirth. And there's one preposition governing both of those things, water and spirits. These, these two ideas come together as part of the rebirth. Do you guys understand that? Or as, as constituent? I made that mistake just because of what he explained above it. You know, you automatically <clears throat> import that into what you're reading there. But Yeah, you do, which is, which is, you know, Jesus is almost ignoring Nicodemus there. Almost. It's almost like your question is so stupid, I'm just going to move on, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, born of water and spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now notice the, the distinction. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, you know, there, you were born of the flesh. You have to be born of the spirit. This, that's, re, that's the rebirth he's talking about. In, in the previous verse, water and spirit are together. Now he's just referencing the spirit here. You have to be born of the spirit um, to be, you know, and he says, well, where does that come from? Anybody know? This whole water spirit coming together, rebirth by spirit? Where is that? Ezekiel. Yeah, Ezekiel 36. Yes, the picture of water and the spirit are together in Genesis, you're right. And that picture is all through the Old Testament. Yeah. But specifically, the promise he seems to be picking up here is Ezekiel 36. What does he say in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27? You don't remember? Huh? The Lord promises to come and take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and, and they, uh, cleanse, cleanse, cleanse us with, with water, water and rebirth. Water. And give us the Holy Spirit, right? You guys, you guys understand that new covenant promise? Mm -hmm. That's what Jesus is referencing here. You're going to be sprinkled with clean water. You're going to be... That's the picture of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Is that why he says you should know this? Is That's why he goes on in the next verse and says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Right? Or if you look down at verse 9, just skipping ahead, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? One of the right? reasons. How do you not know this? Have you not read the Old Testament, Nicodemus? <laughs> this isn't new. Right? Yes, sir. What are you saying? I was going to say, one of the things that interests me in that Ezekiel 36 passage is that God is saying, I will, I will, I will. Yes. And one of the I will things he'll do is sprinkle us with clean water. So it's like, well, that can't be a reference to us being baptized, right? Because God will sprinkle us with clean water. And that's just, you know, here, as you said, tied in, born of water and the Spirit. It's just interesting, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. trying to tie that all together. Is the water, is the water still significant judgment, even as, so... Um, Absolutely. Words, baptismal yeah. waters. And it, and now, baptismal waters <clears throat> picture this, right? So when you're baptized, it's, it's picturing this. And they, they, they picture both judgment and salvation. Yeah. Okay. Because they picture death and resurrection. Yeah. yeah. You wouldn't die other than your judgment. Yeah. For your sin. You, you, guys, you guys understand that picture some? Okay. But look at verse 8. It goes on. The wind 
Now that's the, the pneuma, the pneuma, what's that? Spirit. Now, but he's using the example of wind, but he's pointing out to the work of the, point of the work of the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. In other words, this kind of word picture. In other words, how do you know the Holy Spirit, the wind has been at work? Because you hear the wind, you see the leaves rustling, you you see its effects, right? How do you know the Holy Spirit's been at work? Giving birth, you see his effects. Fruits. You see fruit. Yeah, you see the fruit. You see the the change that comes with him. Okay. All right. Um, this comes up again in Ephesians 2, Paul referencing the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God made us alive together with Christ. Okay. All right. Um, the spirit and the worship of God. Look at chapter 4 of John, verse 24. Jesus is, but look at verse 22. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I think that is the reference. I think that's a reference to the Holy Spirit, incidentally. Um, in other words, it, well, I don't have time to get into it right now. Spirit and truth. I, I won't get off the track. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So, so you're only going to worship him through the Spirit, right? And in truth. But the Holy Spirit is, is, is in Jesus. He was once dwelling. Think about him. His dwelling is in the temple. Right? And this lady's asking, well, which temple do we worship? And you think about the association of worship. If the Spirit's in the temple. And this doesn't mean the Spirit wasn't in people. Right? Because clearly he is in the Old Testament. But he's, he's now no longer going to be found in some physical temple somewhere. He's now in Jesus and then by through faith united his people so that we are then called the temple okay um, if you want to read about the temple of god um and a biblical theology of understanding the temple of god you should go read gk beale's book the temple and god's mission it's five six seven hundred pages great book though that's on the temple and god's mission and he starts with the garden temple um, which we'll talk about when we do biblical theologies how the garden of eden is the temple is the temple or the picture of the temple and so it's the new heavens and new earth and how that goes to the whole bible but um here, here he is um making a statement and god is spirit now that's referencing his substance his stuff god's stuff is spirit right it's not flesh and blood it's spirit it's his stuff um god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth Right, again, I think a reference to the Holy Spirit. Um, so you've, you've, you've got this idea that in order to worship God, you're having to worship him in the Holy Spirit, right? You, you guys follow that? Um, okay, let, let, me, let me keep going. The Spirit is advocate of Jesus. Look at John chapter 14. Now, I could read all three chapters to you. Um, I would encourage you at some point just to go and read through this very extended um, teaching about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in the last week of his life. He's about to, that's right. He's he's about to die, right? And he's instructing his disciples, and he gives them extended instruction on the and sent personal work of the Holy Spirit. He wants them to know 
how, how they're going to keep going. Um, and uh, if, if you look down to verse 15 and following, um, he, he starts, he makes this reference. Um, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Um, really, the word is probably better advocate to be with you forever. Okay, well, You guys know what an advocate does? What's an advocate do in our, in, in our culture? Do you have social services? Do they advocate for children? Okay, there are advocates yeah. for children. We think about advocates... Um, Lawyer, defender. As a lawyer, somebody goes into court well, and defends so you. Acts on your yeah. behalf. It's fine on your behalf. What's interesting is in that culture, what what your advocate did, your your lawyer in a sense, uh, was generally your supreme character witness. He was the person who came into court not to, you know, give you a legal defense, but to testify about who you are. Right, the most reliable character witness of who you are. You guys follow that? Okay. Why is that interesting that the Holy Spirit's going to be given to you, this advocate to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now that's a just a mind-blowing statement because here you're being told you're not, you, know, you say we talk about being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but when the Holy Spirit indwells us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all indwelling us. Mm-hmm. Right? And he's advocating for Jesus. He's his character witness. Right? Um, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What are the all things that he's teaching you? What are they about? Jesus. That's why the Spirit of Truth about who? Jesus. He's the Advocate. He's the one who's coming to relentlessly tell you about me. He's going to remind you of everything I've taught you. He's going to point you to me over and over and over again. Teach you all truth does not mean that he's going to teach you algebra. Okay? It doesn't mean he's going to make you a great painter. Here's how you put the right colors on the... Right? It is not what it's talking about. This is talking about a specific role. Why do they need to hear that the Holy Spirit's going to come... And constantly remind them of Jesus and tell them what Jesus remind them what Jesus said and tell them about who Jesus is. Why do they need to hear that? Because he's not going to be with them anymore. He's not going to be with them. He's anymore. not going to be. He's not going to be with them. But they're also going to be the, the first church. They are going to spread the gospel. And what an incredible! I hadn't really thought about this before, but what an incredible uh, picture here 
of uh, the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal those, to teach those truths, to remind them, to help them, to give them clarity and, and uh, an understanding of everything that he's been teaching them for the last three years, and then to be the ones who are going to actually write the scriptures, the Holy Spirit inspiring them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because that's the thing is I mean, that's nothing's been written down yet. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So he has to. We think we think we we look back at the disciples and they th and you think, wow, how incredible to be there and to, to see all of that. But then, all these years later, uh, 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 not all these years, but it's three years later, Jesus dies, is resurrected, and now they're left alone. Now what? Are they going to go back and be fishermen? No, they're going to be spreading the gospel and and, and spreading the gospel. By being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, just look at the first one. Wow. We had to go around asking yeah. eyewitnesses. Sure. Yeah. And he's reminding them of all these things. Look at verse 26 of chapter 15 now. I'll jump forward because I don't have time to spend all this. But, but when the Helper comes, again here the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, he will do what? Bear witness about who? Me. That's what the advocate does. You guys remember I told you that earlier? He's the one who bears witness. Now here you're using the word witness because generally when we think about a character witness, we think somebody, the advocate's my attorney, the character witness is the one who goes up and testifies about me. In their culture, the advocate and the witness and the supreme witness for you are essentially the same person. Okay. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Now, but, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me where you're going. But because I've said these things to you, Sorrow has filled your hearts. Why are they filled with sorrow? Because he's going to die, right? And he's going to go away from them. And they're going to die. Ne yeah, and they're going to die. <laughs> Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the, the advocate, the helper, will not come to you. But if I will go, I will send him to you. Now, I ju you just got to stop and consider that. Jesus considers an advantage mm -hmm. for him to go away. So the Holy Spirit can come. Kind of reminds me of, you know, in the Old Testament, God gave us these laws written on tablets of stone, and in the New Covenant, He gives us the laws written inside of us. It's kind of the same thing, right? They had Jesus outside of them, influencing them and helping them, but the Holy Spirit came into them. Yeah. Right. And yeah, much, much better situation. Now look at verse eight. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and <clears throat> righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I shall, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, about what? Yep. Is it true that, that you know, <clears throat> there's less gravity on the surface of the moon than Earth? Yes. Is the holy is that the kind of stuff that the Holy Spirit's guiding you into? No, right now is there a common grace that we're smart enough as people to know that? 
Is the Holy Spirit in some sense at work in that way? Yes, commonly, graciously, giving us intelligence to figure this kind of thing? Sure, right, okay? But the fact is, is that what Jesus is referencing here, when he says, in you all truth, is concerning himself, right? For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he's hearing it from the word, who's Jesus, right? And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will what? Glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Isn't that an interesting passage? What does Jesus, if you look at this just as a quick overview, what does Jesus say the Holy, Holy Spirit's about? What's his role? Yeah, to, to continually uphold and glorify Jesus. That's why the only place when you t we tell people, to, oh, I feel like the Holy Spirit gets ignored, that he's forgotten. Well, let me, let me come back at that. Wherever the word is not regularly preached and Jesus is not regularly proclaimed, that's true. Right? That's forgetting the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's work is to inspire and illuminate the Word and to point us to the Son who reveals the Father. You guys, you guys understand what I'm getting at there? I think of Chang and the, uh, is it Chang, Francis? Oh, Francis, Francis Chan? Chan, Chan, yes. And the Forgotten God. Yeah, he calls him the Forgotten God. His primary reference, though, is to what, how he sort of relates to you personally. And, um, and I think that's where Francis sort of goes wrong because I don't. I'm, I'm thinking, where's where's God forgotten? The Holy Spirit's forgotten where Jesus is not being proclaimed. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes we have to get a hold of that. That to to, to 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 exalt the Holy Spirit, to give Him great pleasure, right? Is to do is to exalt what He's come to do. Which is do what? Tell, tell us about Jesus. Tell us about Jesus. Except that verse you brought up earlier, um, John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It seems yeah. like so much in church we focus on keeping the word, and we forget that that's a result of loving Jesus. Yep. Yep. And and and, um, and that's a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you're wanting to find a church where the Holy Spirit is actively working, look for a church where Jesus is being exalted. And his word is being exposited. If you're looking, you, I, I'm just going to be flat out about this. That's what the Holy Spirit has come to do. You go, go, go look for a place where all kinds of funky manifestations are, and everybody's saying spirit, spirit, spirit. That's whatever. But are they talking about Jesus? Or are they looking at the word? Because that's his primary work. All right. Um, the Spirit has the promise of the Father to empower the mission of Jesus through the disciples. Now, this is going to, I'm going to try to give you this as briefly as I can. Because the Spirit is not only the advocate of Jesus, but the Spirit is the promise of the Father. The Father promises the Holy Spirit for what? Um, to empower the mission of Jesus. What's the mission of Jesus? To save his people, right? Um, I'm reading a book called From Heaven He Came and Sought Her. Which is a fantastic title. I just love the title. 
But as reference, when I'm preaching this week in John 6, um, multiple times Jesus says, I, I came from heaven for this reason, right? In other words, it's this sense that he's, he's come for this. What's he's come to seek and save the lost, to gather his people, to, gain, to, to, to save his bride, right? That's what he's come for. Um, that, that's his mission, and, and he, but he's accomplishing that mission through his disciples. The Holy Spirit's coming as the gift of the Father to empower the disciples to further the mission of Jesus. You follow me on that? Why do I say that? Look really briefly at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. Um, Luke chapter 24. Um, Luke chapter 24 at the, at the end, he says this. Um, you are witnesses of these things, verse 48, 49, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Now, what's the promise of the Father? Well, we know in, in Acts chapter 1, that's the Holy Spirit. And they're supposed to stay in the city of Jerusalem until they're, they're empowered by him, right? Clothed by him. Okay, so go to Acts chapter 1 now. Um, and if you look first at verse 8, it says there, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, what's the Holy Spirit's job? To witness to Christ. So what's he coming to empower in us? Same thing. To witness, to witness about Christ. Christ. To witness about Christ. He's not, his advocate or his witness, and now we are in power. And, and like you said just a moment ago, not to witness about the Holy Spirit. Not to witness about the Holy Spirit. So that's the benefit of Jesus leaving, leaving and us getting the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. We get to take up his mission and continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The same work. Same work. You'll by, be my witnesses. And by the same power. By the same power. By the same power. And the same person. Yeah. Same per- personal relationship. <laughs> good way to say that. That's, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. But look at verse 1 of Acts 1, because this is key. In the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Why does that matter, that same began? The whole of the Gospel of Luke, conception, birth, prophecies, life, ministry, death, Resurrection, promise of the disciples, all is the beginning of his doing and teaching. Because he's eternal and he's still doing and teaching. And where is he doing and teaching in this, when, with reference to this book? Through Jesus' disciples. Mm-hmm. They're continuing his mission. You understand the idea there? Mm-hmm. Um, the Holy Spirit's coming on so they can continue his mission. Um, but but it's not that he they're picking up where he left off. No, he's still going. He's still going. Yeah, he's still working because the Holy Spirit is saying is saying everything that is everything that is mine, right? He's going to take that and give that to you. The Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus saying that. He's going to say everything that I say. He's going to say he's going to take what's mine and give it to you. Holy Spirit's job. So when we're witnessing on behalf of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. All, all we're doing is continuing work. That's why you're the body of Christ. You're continuing the work of Christ in the world. It's interesting when you think about him next to the Father interceding on our behalf. You know, interceding what? That we'll continue his mission, that we'll proclaim him, that we'll, you know, and that will remain empowering us to that end. Exactly. Yeah. Um, in Acts 2, we see the Spirit as eschatological blessing. Um, the idea that the Holy Spirit comes on us and, and he's, this, he's bringing in this last day, this last age, this last epoch, if you will. Um, 
as I see that in Acts 2, the spirit of adoption in, in Romans 8. Look, look, look real quick, Romans 8. Um, verse 14 and 15. Um, Romans 8, 14 and 15, it says this. Um, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So the Spirit has adopted us, right? He's brought us in to adoption to the Father. He, he, and and when he adopts us, he doesn't just adopt us so that we're God's children, but then he does what? He makes us cry out of the Father. He gives us this assurance. The Spirit is directly tied to our assurance of salvation. If you look at verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do you know if you're a child of God? Because the Holy Spirit testifies to your spirit that you are. He's bearing witness again, right? He's telling you what Jesus wants you to know. You're mine. Right? Now, you experience this when you guys ever gone to the point where you just want to walk away from it all? You just want to chuck it because it's really true. Or I just want to chuck it. I want to walk. You guys ever had that? Okay? And you just can't get yourself to do it because you know you belong to them? You ever had that? Mm-hmm. I, I have. Okay? Usually you get there because whatever you're going through is just too hard and you don't want to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that you don't believe it anymore. And the Holy Spirit won't let you go. You try, but He won't let you. It's testifying to your spirit that you're a child of God. You can't mm-hmm. turn away from your father. Um, sort of giving you that assurance. All right, what's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you guys, if you look at the spirit and life in God's kingdom, look at Romans 14 real quick, um, just just to see his his involvement in, in life in God's kingdom. Um, Chapter 14, verse 17 of Romans. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, we live in this kingdom in which which we have righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's involved in everything. That's all I'm trying to drive at, right? There's nothing that's happening that, that he's not involved in in the Christian life. Um, union with Christ. All of Romans 6 talks about us being baptized into union with Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. You, you pick that up from Ephesians 4, right? As the Holy Spirit has come and made us one body, one spirit. You guys, one Lord, you guys, one faith, one baptism. Um, you pick that up in 1 Corinthians 12, when you're when you're baptized into Christ. Which I'll spend more time on. Most of the stuff I'll spend more time on, but I just want you to get the overall concepts. That you're, you're united to him through faith by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who unites you to Christ. So that you're his. Um... The Spirit and the gifts of the body, 1 Corinthians 12. Obviously, he does all the gifting and empowering for ministry and for care for one another. Um, the Spirit as the seal. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, if you look there, um, really quickly. Um, been talking about the Father and the Son and now the Holy Spirit in him. You also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the one who seals us. He's the one who guarantees our inheritance. 
Um, but, but there's kind of a scary flip side to that, too. Where in Romans 8 9, it says anyone who does not have the Spirit does not belong to us. That's right. That's right. It's the only way you can belong to them. It doesn't that drive a lot of the charismatic movement where people are clinging and wanting to hear God's whispering in my ear and there's all these manifestations of the gifts. And I don't want to go off on a tangent, but... It can. Um, not necessarily every part of the charismatic movement, but it certainly can drive them. So, so in the sessions to come... Maybe you'll help to we just will. understand how we're filled we with the Spirit and how we can have confidence in that. I'm just, yeah, yeah. I'm just giving you the overall sweep right now. We'll get into all of this. Um, the, uh, I just want you to see the overall, and then we'll get into it in more detail. The Spirit um, and the fruit of godliness. If you think about Galatians five, another passage. I don't have time to read, but, but one of the ways, Jeff, you know if the Holy Spirit's in you is you bear the fruit of the Spirit. That's not the fruits of the Spirit, by the way. Okay, it's one singular fruit and multiple aspects to it, right? You guys, you guys follow that? Mm -hmm. It's the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. And what's the fruit? Godly character, love, joy, peace, patience, well, kindness, gentleness, God. The, the fruit could go back to, to that Romans passage, um, 14, 17, of the righteousness and peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. Yep, and absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. And so you, you want to know... Um, you want to know where the Holy Spirit's at work? Where the, the wind blows where it wills. You know where, where it's coming from or going, but you see its effects. What are the effects? Fruit of the Holy Spirit. Godliness. Most of the time. Righteousness. The exaltation of Christ. Who is this divided man? What's that? <laughs> Most of the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking about yeah. patterns. Yeah. General patterns, not perfection. Right. Uh, so, yeah, the, you don't you don't walk into a church and see, well, here's a bunch of perfect people. The Holy Spirit's at work, <laughs> right? Okay. Th those people would also all be resurrected from the dead. So you're uh, <laughs> for that to be possible. So <laughs> you you walk into a church though, and you see the general pattern of the people of God. There is that they're 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 walking in godliness. They that's how you know the Spirit's at work. The Spirit word is being proclaimed. Right, Jesus is being pointed to. That's how you know. We, people are walking into churches, going, "I don't feel the right thing in the worship service, or I don't see all the manifestations." So the Spirit's just not here. That is not how the Bible teaches us to judge the work, whether the Holy Spirit is present or not. Anywhere, the, the gifts of the Spirit won't serve it. They're the means to an end. What's the meant? The the fruit of the Spirit. So if you don't see the fruit of the Spirit in a body, I don't care how many manifestations you see, those are not manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Because the manifestations of the Holy Spirit are bringing about the fruit of the Spirit. If that's not happening, if you speak, you're, if, you know, if, if the general congregation is participating in all kinds of gifts and then going out and living in complete and utter ungodliness, then those gifts are all phony. All right. Um, try to be clear about that. Um, the spirit of the inspiration of Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. Theopneusus is inspired. So the Spirit inspires the Bible. Everything we read is inspired by Him. Right? 
and he illuminates it. Ephesians 1, uh, 15 through 18, he illuminates it. He, so he writes it, the holy men wrote as the Spirit, as they were carried along by the Spirit, right? In, in 2 Peter 1, uh, the Spirit was revealing these t- things to the, even the Old Testament prophets in 1 Peter 1. The Word of God is spoken, written by the Holy Spirit. So this is what I'm saying. If this is what he's about, if he's about taking fallen people that he's created, giving them new life, life in Christ, so that they know Jesus, so they're increasingly made in the image of Jesus, right? So they're speaking more and more about Jesus, so that they're on mission with Jesus, so they're bearing the fruit of the Spirit, which is looking life that looks like Jesus. They're from one degree of glory to another, being transformed by the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, if that's what he's, that, so that they're hearing from Jesus' word, that Jesus' word is being illumined to them. You guys understand the picture here? That's what he's about. He's bringing in this kingdom. He's not into all this weirdness, right? It's, it's a very simple biblical picture. We are sinners. We, fought, we were created to glorify God as image bearers. We fell. Now we reflect the lie instead of the truth. Jesus came as the perfect image bearer of God, always telling the truth, and sent his Holy Spirit to testify about him, to unite us to him, right? So that we become proper image bearers, so that we're telling the truth about him, about the Lord, as he reveals the Father. So he's saving us to become this people who once again are honoring and glorifying him on mission to make him known. You guys follow me on that? It isn't this big, all the stuff we talk about, at the end of the day, it boils down to something very simple and incredibly profound. The Holy Spirit's work is to create and redeem this people so that we come into God's kingdom glorifying him and living like him. Um, You guys understand that? All exalting the Son who made this all possible, right? That's probably one of the most. That's probably one of the most. I don't want to say direct and simple explanations of the Bible that I've ever heard, Chad. That was that. What you just said was spirit led. Oh, well, <laughs> thanks. I mean, I'm I don't. Give, I, I'm going to give the spirit the credit for it. Okay, Chad. Sure, so sure, you know sure. Yeah, please do because. <laughs> Anything I say that's good is from him. Anything else is not. The, uh, that was well done. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just, I just, I don't want to make this this big. The Spirit's work is very, is is very direct, simple. At the end of the day, he's doing everything to make us like the Son of God, whom we fail to be like. Right. Um. So. Testify about him, point us to him, and we turn him into some kind of trinket, right? Who, who, some kind of spiritual map quest, some kind of bizarre, nebulous being, and we're like, who is this guy, right? What does he do? How do I even relate to him? Why do you want to hear him speak? Open the Bible, and he'll speak to you. That's the Holy Spirit speaks right there. I want to hear God. Open your Bible. I, I can tell you this. We'll get into this, Jeff. I don't want God to speak to me directly. The what? Outside of the Word. 
because he's already given me more than I pay attention to and obey as it is. I really don't need anything else. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, let's just face it. How, much, how, how well do you apply this? You want something extra to add to it? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, this is this is not <laughs> exactly. So I, I just want to, I just want the Holy Spirit to work in me to make me faithful to understanding what He has told us about His Son. Um, so, all right. Yesterday morning, I was uh, uh, studying and, and having my breakfast, and I, that thought occurred to me that you know it's all Jesus. Everything's Jesus. It's the whole Bible. Everything's Jesus. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. And it reminds me of the little, the little ditty that I heard, we heard years ago about the little boy who, who came home from Sunday school and his mother asked him what, what he learned. And he's like, Jesus. You know, it's yeah, like yeah, that yeah. Was, well, that's always right. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's all about Jesus. That's the story of the Bible is about Jesus. That's right. When God speaks to people directly in the Bible, it's a big deal. Like, your hair would probably turn white, right? They I mean, usually fall on their face. Their mouths are stopped. They're, they're, they're all kinds of... And he always says very important, redemptive things. He doesn't tell them, you know, maybe you should choose UCLA over US. <laughs> That's not the kind of stuff he says, right? It's, just, it's, it's very significant, important stuff. Um, and we just... We would rather shortcut wisdom... Which is acquired with experience and godliness and knowing the word, we'd rather shortcut that and just have the Holy Spirit tell us directly what should I do in this situation, because we don't like to apply wisdom. That's the truth. It is true. <laughs> I know. I want God to tell me all the time. Just tell me what to do. I don't want to have to pray and search the word and seek godly counsel. And it's what's amazing to me is most people hear from God. He always tells them to do what they wanted to do anyway. Um, and, and never what other godly wise people around them say they ought to do. That's the interesting thing. That's been my experience pastorally. Um, every time I meet with people and all the wise godly counsels one direction, then they say, well, the Holy Spirit told me that I should do this. And it's the exact opposite of what everybody around them thinks. And, um, you know, and I'm talking about wise godly people think. You're just like, are you? Yeah, that's what they wanted to do. That's what they want to do when they first started the conversation. Exactly right. You've probably never heard these words before, Jeff, as a pastor. Uh, God's telling me to divorce my wife. I have. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah, He's telling me to divorce my wife. I've heard those. That's that's always a bizarre one. (laughs) Yeah, God sounds a lot like your your own heart, doesn't he? Hey, you know, once that starts happening, you know you're you you got you got a false god. So um, let me. Let me pray. We will uh, meet um, again after Christmas. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up and uh, we'll jump into all of these aspects, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and various things, including the gifting of the Holy Spirit and the continuation. Going, like, Do we have to wait that long? I know. Continuation. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I got a couple books I can give you to look at right now, Jeff. I'll give it to you before you leave. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Father, thanks. Um, for the fact that you have, you have sent the Holy Spirit to us. That you have, that you have graciously um, given him to us so that he would give us life. Holy Spirit, we're thankful that you've given us life. That you have testified to us about, your, about the Son. 
Uh, you've pointed us to Jesus and our hope in him, um, that you're currently at work in us, uh, leading us into the truth about him. Pray that we would be those who, who faithfully bear your image, that we tell the truth about you in the way that we live and the way that we speak, that your Holy Spirit would help us um, to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.